So what I want to do for the next three weeks is to really begin to talk to you about what I mean by it really is simple. I think that in life, way too often, our Christian walk becomes a lot like Simon Says, where, you know, Simon Says, walk straight. Simon Says, read your Bible. Simon Says, do all these things. And as long as you do those things, then really you're being a good Christian or you're doing the right thing or you're becoming exactly the person that Christ wants you to be. And when you read Scripture, there's oftentimes when, when we can look and to see who, who Christ really interacted with. And to me, the, one of the very first moments in his ministry really defined how his entire ministry would go and really how our relationship with him should be. And that is all the way at the beginning in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus begins his ministry with a brief conversation with quite a few guys, right? Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Today I want to talk about the word follow. What does it mean to follow? What does it mean when Jesus says, follow me? Who is it that Jesus goes after? Who is it that he wants to follow him? Who is it that he calls to be a disciple? Because oftentimes what happens is we believe or we think because it's so ingrained in us, especially those of us who were brought up in the church, it's so ingrained. And oftentimes those of us outside of the church who look in on the church and think, there ain't no way I want to live like that. I don't, I don't want to be handcuffed like they're handcuffed or, or whatever it is. I like to live free. And then those of us in the church go, well, we're all free as long as we follow the 1,348 rules that my pastor put down on me, right? <clears throat> so what I really want to talk to you about today is what does it really mean when Jesus says, follow me? What does it really mean? And what is he calling us into? What is he asking us to do? Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Amen. <laughs> he saw a man sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Follow me, he told Matthew, and Matthew got up and followed him. Now, what was it about this amazing conversation that made Matthew get up? The first thing that you have to understand is Jesus is the beginning of this amazing ministry, right? He's already building somewhat a little reputation because he is going to be the next great Messiah. Now, they don't know where this is going, right? Matthew doesn't know where this is going. I want you to understand that Jesus did not lay out a bunch of rules and laws and everything else for Matthew at the beginning of this conversation, right? What's interesting about what Jesus says is what Jesus doesn't say. Because what Jesus could have said is this, Matthew, I want you to walk with me, but know this, if you say yes, you will be murdered. He doesn't say that. Well, that's what happened, but he doesn't say that. He could have told Matthew, you know what, Matthew? I want you to come walk with me because, dude, let's just be honest, you're an idiot. <laughs> Nobody likes you. Nobody wants to be around you. 
if anybody even fellowships with you, they're outcasted from their families. So if you come with me, I'll fix everything and make everything better for you, right? Your life will be roses if you just come hang out with me. Jesus doesn't say that. What does Jesus say? Follow me. Follow me. Let me tell you why. Because Jesus understood that the Christian life, the walk, the becoming more like him is a process. It's not an overnight procedure. And when we sit at the very beginning of a journey and try to tell people, come and be like Christ immediately or you're going to hell, no one wants to walk on that road, right? We don't even want to go down that road. Because I'm going to tell you something that you may not know about me, and it may shock you. Greg, hold on. I sin. It's true. Greg, Greg knows me well enough to know that even that's an understatement. But let me tell you about Matthew. <laughs> Matthew is referred to as a publican. He is one member of the most, most dis- he is one member of the most disgusted group of politicians that you can be a part of. Romans imposed not only an income tax. Here's what you guys are going to like. You think we're taxed a lot, and we are. I'm not going to lie to you. Romans imposed an income tax. They imposed a land tax. Then they imposed a property tax, which was 10% of your grain and 20% of the fruit and wine that you can manufacture. Then they taxed uh, bridges. They taxed every time you got onto a road. They taxed every time you went through a gate. And they taxed every time you crossed a boundary. Now what they would do is this. They would keep account of everywhere you went. And every time you crossed something and went through a gate or something like that, they would mark that down. They would know that. And every five years, they would collect that tax. And guess whose job that was? Matthew. Guess how happy people were to see Matthew. Now, here's the best part. Because Matthew was the tax collector, he got to decide how much he should be paid. And then he just tacked that on to whatever your tax bill was. So not only were you paying the Romans what was due the Romans, but now this idiot guy is coming to you to collect this money that, quite frankly, you know that you shouldn't have to pay. And on top of that, making you pay him for having to come to your house and steal your money. Now let me ask you this. If you were Jesus, would this be the guy you started with? And here's even a better part than that. So Jesus not only goes to this guy and says, follow me, but do you know what Jesus does next? He begins to preach to him and condemn him, right? No. What Jesus does is this. He says, listen, man, call your friends. It's time to eat. We're going to go to your house, and we're going to have dinner, we're going to chill, we're going to party. We're going to live like it's 1999, <laughs> right? Yeah. So he gets, he gets Matthew, he goes to his house, and he begins to live life on day one 
with Matthew. On day one, he begins to live life with Matthew. He completely changes on day one how ministry should be done. He completely changes tradition because truthfully what it was is a lot of what we kind of are now where the Pharisees and Sadducees and everybody else would walk around and they would point to people who are doing wrong and they would condemn them right in the street. You know, they would have people stoned and killed and everything else because they were not living the way they should. They were not following the principles correctly. They were not doing exactly what God had called them to do. And so what happens is you begin to focus not on what God is doing in my life, but you begin to focus on what God is doing in everybody else's life. And all of a sudden, there's two ways you can go. Either their life is not good enough and they should be acting better or smarter or they should be prouder or, or lovelier, or they've got so much more than you've got. And why is it that God is blessing them and God's not blessing me? Why is it that everything's going good for them and things aren't going good for me? What happens is, is your Christianity becomes complacency. And so instead of you understanding what a relationship with Christ is, the only thing you can understand is what regulation in Christ is. So as long as I follow all these rules and do all these things and behave in all these ways that are laid out for me to walk down that path and do that direct thing, as long as I do all that, then God will bless me abundantly. And what happens is, is your walk becomes not really about what God's doing in your life, but your walk becomes about everybody else because we all know how it is to follow rules. As long as you do it right and somebody else does it wrong and they get away with it, then you're like, well, wait a minute, right? And all your attention and all your focus is on everybody else. But relationship with Christ changes all of that. You can see it immediately in this moment. Look what happens. Let's go to verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? I love that. On hearing this, verse 12, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. Verse 13, but... Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call sinners. The Pharisees asked the question. He ate with who? He ate with who? Here's my favorite thing, right? Yes, they were tax collectors. Yes, they were thieves, but do you know how people knew them? As sinners. They wore the name sinners. Now that's important. Because often, hello? <laughs> often what we find out is this. Jesus only wants to hang out with good Jesus people. Right? And as long as I do everything the way that Jesus has called me to do things, then Jesus will be my friend. But the truth of the matter is this. When Jesus began his ministry, who did he want to hang out with? 
And not just the people, this, I love this, not just the people who were hypocrites, not just the people who on the outside said that they were good Christian people and then on the inside acted really bad or strange or however else we want to call it. Those weren't the people Jesus was talking about. I want to walk and hang out and go to dinner and live with the people who wear the name sinners, who when people look at them, what they think of is sinners. Those are the people I'm here for. Those are the people I want to live with. Those are the people I want to do life with. Those are the people who I want to experience me because those are the people who are going to get it. All you people who are caught up in tradition, who are caught up in the rules, who are caught up in the regulations, who think that smoking a cigarette has anything to do with your Christian walk, who think that saying a curse word on the street when a car runs over your toe has anything to do with your Christian walk, who understand this, we all walk a different path. And Christ will call us all at a different growth rate. And while you may experience Jesus on a level that takes you to cloud nine every time you sing a song at worship, maybe I don't. Maybe I'm still trying to figure out this walk. Maybe I'm still trying to learn and experience life as we go on. Part of our judgment process comes from this. We become complacent in our spiritual walk. We become complacent in who it is that Jesus is in our life. And Jesus is no longer a redeemer. Jesus is no longer someone who comes to set you free. Jesus is now someone who plays Simon Says with you every single day. And when you don't do it, when Jesus says, Jesus says, then you're out of the game. And you don't get to come back in until you make up with Jesus. You follow me? Jesus hangs with sinners. Andy Stanley says this, and I love this quote. Being a sinner does not disqualify you. It is a prerequisite. How good is that? Being a, I just got little goose chills on the back of my head. Being a sinner does not disqualify you. It's a prerequisite. I can prerequisite. <laughs> Listen, church. One of the reasons that we started what we're doing here is because that little group of us understood one thing vitally important, and that was this. The church can't be mean. <laughs> the church can't be disrespectful. Church can't be condemning because church was supposed to be established to help me and build me up and understand that I may walk at a different pace than you or I may come to God in a different way that you did. But that doesn't mean that my way is less important than yours or I should be respected less than you or I shouldn't be allowed to do ministry for six months and you can do ministry right away. It's understanding and knowing that the thing that binds us all together is simple, and it's this. Jesus has asked us all to follow, to begin to build a relationship, to begin to have dinner with him, and to learn from him. Now, I will tell you this. Your life will change. 
Because becoming a follower of Christ will cost you something. It will cost you something. Ask the disciples. It's going to cost you something. But the cool thing about it is, refusing to follow Christ will cost you a whole lot more. Church, let me close with this. Verse 13 says this. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. We breeze past that verse all the time. But to me, that verse defines what One Love Church, what we all must become in our spiritual walk. And that is an understanding that this, Jesus doesn't require your sacrifice. Jesus doesn't require that you walk the right way, that you memorize the right verse, that you read the Bible at 8.30 every morning, that you don't do those things that everyone else looks down upon that Christians don't do. What Jesus requires from you is mercy, is understanding his grace, is knowing that you can come to him when you have failed is understanding that in your walk you will have challenges, but I will be there for you. Is knowing that a life with Jesus is easy, in his words, not mine, is easy, and his burden is light. It's hearing when the Holy Spirit speaks, and moving when doors are open to you, and knowing that there is nothing that can conquer you when Christ walks with you. It's feeling in those moments when no one else will feel. It's loving in those moments when no one else has the courage to love. It's giving of yourself in the ways that no one else will give of themselves. Those are the things that will set you apart. That's what Christ meant when he said, be in the world but not of the world. Understand that I have sent you to be a part of exactly where you are. I've sent you to live in the community where you are. I've sent you to be on the street where you are. I've sent you. And some of you are saying to yourself, but Jesus, this ain't easy. <laughs> this ain't easy. Understand this. It's not easy. But I'll tell you what it is. It's a relationship. And I know Everyone in this room knows that your relationships are not easy. But when you're willing to go through the difficult moments, you grow. When you're willing to stub your toe or walk through that personal space that's comfortable to get into that not-so-comfortable personal space, when you're willing to love, when you're willing to reach out, when you're willing to hand out that little card that we make for you over there, when you're willing to do those things, you will grow. And before you know it, you will look back and you will say, this, this great quote that I, that I read this week. Howard Hendricks stood and addressed 2,000 young leaders. He had battled cancer for most of his life. The very week that he spoke, his daughter-in-law passed away and left his son a widow. 
He stood there in his late 70s, hurting. And he said as he stood, he was in pain and could feel the cancer in his body. And he said this. Ladies and gentlemen, this is his entire speech. I love it. I have followed Christ for 50 plus years. You are looking at one thoroughly satisfied individual. Now how can someone whose body is literally at that moment being eaten away by cancer, who that week saw his son lose his wife, how can someone like that stand in front of a group of young people who have everything ahead of them, have no idea what pain really means, stand in front of them and say, listen, 50 plus years in a personal walk with Jesus Christ means one thing. I am thoroughly satisfied. Because he understood this, that your faith is not about regulation. It's about relationship. And we must be like Matthew and understand that when Jesus says, follow me, all we have to do is say yes and allow Jesus to do the rest.